What is up everybody? My name is Emily Jane Saroff, but you can call me Em. I am obsessed with all things spirituality, business, and personal growth. I started the Empower With Em podcast at 21 years old, whilst I was studying my Masters of Architecture at uni. It is fair to say that this podcast catapulted my life in a direction I never imagined possible. Soon after starting this podcast, I dropped out of my degree, quit my nine to five and started my own business and in just eight months of starting, became a six-figure CEO. Inside of this podcast, I share insights into the realities of being a 20-something-year-old CEO along with actionable tips to help you unlock your true potential and create a soul-aligned and impactful life and business. So pull up a seat, put on your headset, and get ready to get empowered. Before we dive into today's episode, I have a quick message for you. If you're an entrepreneur or aspiring entrepreneur who is wanting to build a business in the online space that is in total alignment with your spirituality, physicality, energetics, and financial goals, then I want to connect with you. If you head to the episode description of this podcast and click the work with me form, you can schedule a complimentary call with myself to have a chat and start mapping out your next steps to create the business and lifestyle of your dreams. So stop waiting and start doing. Let's get to know each other and start turning your dreams into your reality business. If you're not yet ready to jump on a call either, then what I do is invite you to shoot me a message over on Instagram at EmpowerWithM so we can get to know each other a little better over there. That's all from me, so make sure you fill out that work with me form or shoot me a message and then dive deep into today's episode. Welcome back to another guest episode of the Empower with M podcast. I am so incredibly excited to dive into this conversation today because I am joined by a best-selling author of five books on the stock market, who is also one of Australia's most compelling speakers on the share market and has been trading the market since 1990 and trained thousands of people to maximize their own trading potential. She is a behavioral finance expert and has degrees in psychology and business, and she also can help you shortcut your way to success. So I am so excited to introduce you guys today to Louise Bedford. Welcome, Louise. Oh, it's so good to be on the show, Em. I'm so excited to have you here. It's great to have a fellow Aussie because usually my guests are in the US or the UK. So it's nice to have a familiar accent. (laughs) Absolutely. I think it's interesting though, with the areas that you cover, there are no limits on who can listen and who can benefit. So it's great to hear that you've got a worldwide presence. It is very exciting. I think I actually have more uh, international audience members than I do Australian audience members. So um, hopefully this conversation we have together today opens up and introduces more incredible Aussies to uh, the Empower With Them world. But I'm more excited to be sharing you with my world and having you share your journey and your expertise with my listeners today. So do you want to kick it off by telling our audience a little bit about yourself? Sure. So like you, I 
entered into the entrepreneurial world in my 20s and I know that you finished your uni degree because you decided you had another calling. I decided to stick it out and it depends on the way you go with this, doesn't it? I think education is so important but it doesn't have to be a structured format the way that our parents taught us. So I entered the corporate world, loved it, loved every minute of it after my business went down the tube but we won't mention that first business where we in human resources, not to worry. And I climbed that corporate ladder using the same principles that I invested in in my business. So hard work, taking responsibility, making sure I was promoting from within, taking care of the people who I worked with. And it went beautifully and I was having the best time. And then in my late 20s, unfortunately for me, I developed a health condition. I lost the use of my arms for three years and that corporate position didn't want me anymore. They kicked me out, M. Wow. <laughs> so I learned how to trade while I was actually rising up that corporate ladder. Mm. And because I couldn't use my arms anymore, I used a, a pen in my mouth so I could tap onto the keyboard and click onto the speed dial to my broker. And I would consider myself in business from that moment on because really what we really need to do in the markets is be able to come up with a strategy to be able to enter, exit and position size and to be able to have the discipline to stick with our strategy and then money will come into our account. So for me, trading is right up there with oxygen. I have traded since 1990. I have loved it because it is a way of creating money out of thin air that most people don't even consider. Mm, see, that's what blows my mind about the trading world is I just don't even know where to start with all of that, right? But we can definitely tap into that today. But before we even lean into that, I want you to, or I'd love it if you could expand further on these elements of your journey you shared with me. So you did say your first business failed and you're like, well, let's just not talk about that. But I think it's so important to talk about um, the different experiences we do go through because, you know, when you put yourself out there and you give something a try, not necessarily everything's going to work, but it's going to move you closer to where you want to be. And um, when I first started, my very first business endeavor was at 12 years old and I was scooping horse poo out of the horse paddock and selling it on the side of the road. And that one tragically failed one day when some man in a ute took all my horse poo bags and didn't pay any money in the honesty. How dare he? Threw that one aside. But I'd love to hear more about, you know, you and your first business failure. What were the biggest lessons you really learned from that? Yeah, look, the way that it went, and I haven't actually spoken about this very often. So I'm glad that you're bringing this up because <laughs> it's something that I do consider very much in my past. But I started up a business when it was the recession we had to have. So things were going very poorly <laughs> financially, economically. And I was in a personnel business which employed people, which was, of course, a difficult situation when unemployment was in a very different situation than it is today. So my business partner at that time, the, this is what broke it, okay, so I'll, I'll just cut to the chase. She said to me, look, I think we can trade through it. I reckon we can do it, but we're undercapitalized and I know you can't put any money 
in. I can't put any money in, but my father has his house and he's going to give it to us to put up as collateral. Now, I said no. I said no from that stage because I thought if we lose her father's house, who was in his 70s, he will Mm. never get another chance to be able to feed that money back into his retirement. So I know my first business partner does blame me for driving that business into the ground because I stepped back from the business. I took over half of the debts. I paid those debts off over the next three years. The majority of people were amazing. They understood I could only pay a very small amount per week for some of them. And some of them said, don't worry, but I still paid it off because I never wanted something following me into the future that I couldn't control and it made me feel very queasy to think that I owed people that money and I wasn't going to pay them. So there were a lot of lessons. There were the lessons of do what you say you're going to do, really important. The lesson of once you've made a commitment, see that commitment through because you never know what will come out the other end. And also probably the lesson of know when to quit So Mm. I was personally very glad that I stepped back out of that business at that time. My business partner continued on in the business and she ran it into the ground and it was unfortunate because there was her father's house that went down the tube with it. It was a very painful, painful time and I hope your listeners never have to go through something like that. Oh, wow. I really appreciate you sharing that experience. And they are some valuable lessons that are packed into there as well. And I think something that I've taken from that is just the importance of trusting your gut as well. You know, that would not have been easy for you to step away from that and then carry that guilt of, oh, but you know, now I've let her down. But at the end of the day, you trusted your gut. You listened to, um, you know, what your inner wisdom was telling you. And I think that is something that you should always stay true to. Right? I agree. So- yeah, I really do agree. I think it's something that if you've already had a track record of success, listening to your gut feel will serve you beautifully. But on mm-hmm. the flip side, if you haven't had a track record of success, then maybe what you should do is get out of your comfort zone and say, okay, my gut is telling me to go in this direction, but given my past track record, maybe I should try something completely different. And I think that is also a valuable aspect to life, Mm. finding a mentor to be able to help you make that decision and having the reliance of, I guess, that extra input into your valuable future from somebody who's been there before and has a vested interest or even a non-biased interest in what you're looking to achieve. Mm. I'm curious to know how has mentorship supported you across your journey through uh, trading because I know it's big in the coaching space and business world to obviously have mentorship but what does that look like for you inside the trading world? Trading can be very lonely. I think it's one of those solitary type of games that you don't realise how important support is. Mm. I always suggest to my traders, especially those trading with a spouse looking over their shoulder, that they have a group of people who can be their cheerleaders, but also their unreasonable friend. So somebody to say, look, that is an area that you need to improve in. That is something that you need to do differently next time. And Mm. if it's 
from the right place, we should be able to take it, shouldn't we? So mm-hmm. for me, mentors have been incredibly important. I've always had mentors for different areas of my life and that has really helped shortcut the process. We really can't be messing around for 10, 20 years while we step on this landmine and then step on that landmine ourselves. Often it's just much quicker and easier and often much cheaper just to get someone who's been there before. Mm, I couldn't agree more is takes out a whole element of trial and error and you whilst there's so many lessons that does come from failure there's also some failure that we can avoid through using the less learnings the lessons through someone else who's had to go through it first absolutely going through that failure yourself yeah other people's experiences OPE (laughs) cheapest way to learn the majority of the case Yes, exactly that. Exactly that. So I'm curious to know, because you've gone through, uh, obviously, a major challenge where for three years, you didn't have the ability to use your arms, yet you still carried on, you still pushed yourself forward by putting a pen in your mouth and using that to press the keyboard. Now, how did you get yourself into that, that strong of a mindset to be able to continue moving forward, given what it was that you were facing at the time? Look, I'd love to say it was something like, oh, well, I had this rich dad and he imbued me with life lessons. I think it was fear. I was terrified. I didn't know what else I could do. At some stage there in your life, I'm sure that you might have even reached a snap point yourself as a listener of this podcast where you're going, what's my next step? How do I progress? And I was at that snap point. I just thought, I can't get a job anywhere. Who wants to employ somebody who can't use their arms? The closest I could come up with was maybe I could work in a jewellery store because there are only little things in there and I can I can talk. Maybe I could employ a carer to be by my side at all times. None of those sounded like a good idea to me. So trading was really the only weapon I had available in this fight because it was a fight. It was a fight for my livelihood. It was a fight for intellectual independence and a fight for identity. Mm. Honestly, the story that you've shared there, it inspires me, you know, to no matter what the challenges that I face, that I can rise above and I can be resilient as well. Because if that is the sort of uh, adversity that you can overcome yourself through these challenges that you face, then it proves to anyone else that it can be possible for them as well. And I think you really have a couple of choices in those situations as to whether you want to shift into that victim mentality and really lean into that suffering place that you might be in or you can lift yourself out and you can find a way to make it work and if using fear to drive you forward is how you do so then I mean that's powerful isn't it because that's turning something that is usually disempowering into something that's actually uh projecting you forward and 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 empowering you in so many different ways so I really commend you for that Absolutely. And look, I think one of the pieces of advice that one of my friends gave me who has 2% vision, he said to me, look, you need to find somebody who's worse off than you are because Mm. you will always have a situation where you can compare yourself favorably or unfavorably, depending on who's around you. Mm. He told me of a situation when he was 18, when he started to have his vision fail. And he visited a friend's house. The friend had been one of those great unreasonable friends where they critique you and they 
suggest to you that perhaps there's another way of approaching things. We all need those people in yeah. our lives. Yeah. And his friend had a brother who'd been born without one arm and without one leg. So when Jim walked into that friend's house and he realised, okay, so this is interesting. There's somebody in a completely different situation from me who is going to experience a lifelong difficulty. That really gave him a perk. So my friend Jim has got Oh, it all together. He has got barely any vision left, but he trades, he goes on holidays, he goes to see movies. His his son bought a property with an old HQ car just so that Jim could drive it on this property. So wow. Jim drives around the property with no vision, with the son yelling at him, Joe, left, left, not that much left. Oh, my God, right now, right. Oh, can you imagine how terrifying that would be? So, <laughs> so I think there is a lot to be said for realising that there is something down the track and your future self will thank you if you just hang on in there and refuse to let whatever it is you're facing strike you down. Mm, Thank you for sharing those stories. I feel like you've got, you're a great storyteller and you've got such like potent stories to share as well. But that's a powerful lesson that's in that, you know, recognizing that whatever it is you're going through, there is always someone who is going through something worse. And not to say that to take away from what you're experiencing, because your experiences are so valid and your struggles are so valid. But it's just a great way to uh, shift your perspective and come back to that place of power. Absolutely. And I think it is important that we recognize our own emotions. It's okay to cry. You know, it's fine just to totally lose it and then work out where you're at. I think what happens now is a lot of people block off their feelings and they don't allow them to have full flight inside their body. They don't allow that feeling to really enter every pore in their in their face, you know. So I do feel that that is something that we seem to have lost. You know, in tribal times, those tribal people would have ranted and raved and, you know, mm. done a bonfire dance and got it all out of their system whereas now we're expected to be wearing that mask and and not showing that emotion and it's actually really not healthy is it em Mm -hmm. not healthy at all and something on that as well i think this is a good point to start to transition now towards um another point of topic is the imposter complex as well um obviously you know limiting beliefs fears doubts uh these are always going to come up we're talking about physical limitations before but now we're looking more at like the psychological limitations that we can experience and i know you have a degree in psychology which is awesome i can't wait to hear like you know your perspective on all of this but In trading, you know, I'm sure there's many limiting beliefs and doubts and fears that come up just like in any other business. So how do you go about navigating these yourself? A lot of our limiting beliefs in trading are because of money. It's Mm. the way that we were raised. You know, some people think that money is evil or it's for other people or it's not something for them and their family. And that can be a very difficult thing to overcome. So the first step, is to articulate your beliefs, put it down on paper, make sure you can adequately describe what it is that you believe and then come back to it another day. 
you can use your own powers of logic to be able to overcome some of the things that you actually truly believe in your gut. Mm -hmm. You know, often when we have those beliefs formed, it's when we're a child and there are two major ways. We've got the blatant way. Our parents say, you know, make sure you save for a rainy day. You know, they <laughs> tell us. But then we've also got the things that we form when we're listening into their conversations with their friends. Or if your mum was backstabbing somebody, then you listen to that and you take that on board. Oh, wow, you know, I can't be rich because mum thinks all rich people are evil or whatever the case is. So to put it down, down on paper first and foremost and then to critique that does this fit my current life and if it doesn't then why are we still hanging on to it a lot of the time we just need to articulate it to get it out there so that our adult self can look at that with new eyes I love how you are first of all said does this fit my current life and something I like to look at as well as does this fit the life I'm trying to create you know that next level that I'm trying to get to are these beliefs like aligning with that but you also said um, use logic to overcome the beliefs and I love that because it's so true. Like, say, for example, you have this belief that, oh, I can't become, you know, rich because I won't be able to manage my money. I'll lose it all. And then I'll be back to where I am now and just hate myself even more for it. But you can combat that with logic and say, well, from a logical perspective, how can I avoid that from happening? I can learn how to manage my money. So when you really do look at um, finding a logical solution to overcome the belief that's coming up, your perspective get shift massively and all of a sudden you've got this like this actionable plan to actually reinforce your new beliefs so is there anything you'd want to add on that yeah I love that as well there's um the concept of identity that I want to touch on with mm-hmm. what you've said. So there's an idea called future pacing which is where mm-hmm. if I say to you um Can you imagine, all right, and I let you fill in the blanks. So can you imagine your perfect day, all right, and I'll get you to tell me your perfect day. Then we bridge the gap between where you are now and that perfect day. What can we do to scaffold between those two states of being? So I love what you do and I love what you're doing with the people that you're mentoring because you're providing that external voice to be able to drag them up in their thinking, to expand their mind. And sometimes that can be very difficult to do if you're trying to do that alone. Mm, It is. And because when we're on our own, we get so stuck in our fixed mindset that we're already in. We need that like external perspective to help shift us. Um, So how do you sort of support other entrepreneurs who are wanting to lean into the trading space? How do you support them in that sense of a mentor as well? Yeah, thank you for that because I do think there are so many similarities between what you do and what I do. We've just got like different vehicles. You've got business yeah. and entrepreneurship as your vehicle and I've got trading as as my vehicle. But in actual fact, a lot of the language that we're using is so similar, which is a beautiful thing. So often I'll find is that people want to trade for a specific reason. Their why may be they want their children to go to private school. They want to go on better holidays. Maybe they want to say no to an unreasonable boss. There is going to be something driving that person. So 
once you can get that, then that can really guide all of the subsequent and future behavior that comes from that moment. So for me, I mean, I was trading through fear. So it probably wasn't the most pure of motivations, but it certainly it certainly did work. So how do we get from where we are now to where we want to be? And when I'm mentoring my people, I find that out first and foremost, and then we work backwards. So we work through a trading plan. So a trading plan is how you get into and out of a position and how much money to put into a position. So that is really the core of like a business plan for an entrepreneur. So how are you going to tackle that market? And we eke that out and we really use the latest in terms of money management to be able to get to that goal as quickly as possible, but no quicker, because I think sometimes think the trading arena is like a really get rich quick scheme. In actual fact, to do this properly, it's going to take you three to five years. Yeah, right. I'm glad you highlighted that there because um, it very much, I think a lot of the time in the entrepreneurial world, whether it's network marketing or trading or anything like that, if you step into it with that mentality of getting rich quick, then you're going to lack the discipline and the commitment in those moments when it is actually a lot tougher or maybe moving slower than you thought. And then you're like, oh, I'm not getting instant gratification. So time time for me to quit. So I love that you brought that one there. And you mentioned a couple uh, that you work with key money management techniques as well when you are working with the students that you're helping with trading. So what are some key money management techniques that people should be mindful of if they're wanting to get into trading, particularly if they don't have um, the funds at this point in time, but it's something they need to build towards? That is a really important point too because you don't have to put money into the markets to consider yourself a trader. You can be educating yourself. You can be learning from books. You can come to my website at tradinggame.com.au and get my free five-part course called Trading Made Simple. You can start right now even if you don't have the money to put into the markets. And so some of the things perhaps that we can learn from the money management arena that we can even apply to the rest of our lives because I know that's what we're looking for as well that combination Mm -hmm. is we've got a thing called portfolio heat now what it is is it's making sure that you don't enter too many new positions before the existing positions had had a chance to be profitable so perhaps to compare it to your world, Em, I'm going to give it a shot, okay, and you can guide me with this. I have seen people take on too many things at once, spread themselves too thin, take up three different businesses and then hope for the best. Why not do one or two things really well, use that as the foothold for the other endeavours. I think that can be a really good life lesson that we can derive through using portfolio heat in the markets. Have you seen that, Em? Completely. And like that was the exact example that popped into my mind is like people jumping into the business space and then uh, thinking, you know, I'll add this business and this business and this business and this business, or even just looking if you've got one business and say, for example, it's a coaching one and you're wanting to put out all these different programs at once and you're not actually mastering any, you're just overwhelming your workload and then not seeing the full potential of results you could see. So I think that was a perfect example that you provided there. Oh, good. I love it. Let's, let's give it, give another one a shot. Okay. Because I think we 
could, you between the two of us, we'll come up with <laughs> these synchronicities. Yeah, yeah. Um, there is a money management technique called pyramiding, where you add to your winning positions, but you never add to your losing positions because you wait for your stop loss to take you out. That's the quit point. That's the point that you decided before you got into the share that you were going to exit because, hey, that's enough. So with pyramiding, what I like to see is that when people have got a really good fastball, that they capitalize on that. They get more training to do with their fastball. Mm. They develop resources to be able to fund that fastball. They get like a VA to be able to look after some of the areas that they don't need to look after because they need to be associated with strategic thinking. I think we can pyramid into our lives beautifully, just as we would a share chart. Find out the thing that you're doing really well and go all in. Mm, I love that. And again, it's so applicable as well to business because in in terms of the coaching world or uh, just the entrepreneurial space in general, because you need to um, have that level of awareness. I think it comes down to at the end of the day and like studying the results that you're seeing and um, being intentional about that. Because if you're not studying what's happening in your business, you're not studying like, okay, what programs the clients actually responding to, or even content, like down to the content level, what content's doing well versus what content's not doing well. If you don't do that deeper reflection, you're not going to be able to see like where uh, the hotspots are, so then you can lean further into them. But another example that popped into my mind too, was from a uh, team management perspective, you know, like bringing in when you said a VA, like bringing a VA into your team and into your business. But if you're not going to be um, studying how they're moving, and if they're stacking results for you, or if they're not, you might get to a point where three months later, they've been working with you and all of a sudden there's no results. There's no, like your cash flows drop completely because you weren't aware of um, how it was all working. You weren't paying attention to what was working, what wasn't working and adjusting it as you went. So again, I think it's just a valuable lesson that you shared there in general. Yeah. And I love your example too. Actually, one of the things that I look at with my traders is there's three aspects to trading effectively. You've got your system, which is, you know, how to get in, how to get out. Then you've got trading psychology. So that's how you're thinking about money, how you're thinking about your profits Mm. and making sure you don't self-sabotage. And the third area is maintenance, which is what you're talking about here. So often Mm. after somebody's been trading for quite a while, then I'll ask to look at their equity curves, like their profit and loss. Okay. So Mm. what that will show me is in different markets, like there's say FX or CFDs or the Australian market or the US market, for example, in different markets, they will often have different results. And Mm. what I often find interesting at that point is that their profitability can really be improved if I take away the things causing friction. The the markets that they're not trading Mm -hmm. effectively, that they're not the most profitable in, if you take away those rather than adding more, that can make a huge difference to somebody's trajectory and somebody's future. And I bet you see that too in your world where complication can lead to devastating results. 
Mm, I think of uh, when you share that, I think of like coming back to how everything's energy at the end of the day. Money is energy. Um, You know, people are energy in your business, all of this. And when that energy is stagnant somewhere, that then trickles and interferes with um, the rest of your energy that you're bringing to what you're doing. So that makes total sense to me how removing what isn't performing is going to ultimately boost performance in other areas at the end of the day. And it's something that I've experienced in business so many times myself is needing to recognize um, what, where there's energy leaks, you know, where the energy is stagnant, whether it's with something in my beliefs or in the way that I'm moving my money around or the way that I'm managing my team or anything of the such. And um, either finding a solution to get that energy flowing again, or like you were saying, removing it from the equation. Yeah. Isn't it interesting as well that when you're looking to remove something, often there'll be a lot of resistance because people think success is a complicated life Mm. when in actual fact, success is often a simple life. It's more simple than people perhaps ever realize. So you have to get your ego out of the way to be able to be open to removing things rather than just continually adding. You know, it's such a badge of honor. You know, how have you been? We ask our friends and they say, oh, I've been so busy. I'm so busy. (laughs) Don't you hear that? It's like a almost... a a dilemma here it's worse than the pandemic that's what everybody's saying everyone's busy yeah and it's actually they are the ones creating their life so perhaps that's the way they want to be and I think it's important to remember that we are in control and we are the ones initiating that busyness so to get our ego out of the way to take a step back and to work out where we're heading so that we can simplify our life is sometimes a great way to go. Mm, I'm so glad you brought that up because it is. Everyone wears this as a badge of honor. I'm so busy, you know, constantly busy. I'm doing all this. I'm doing all that. But at the end of the day, we don't need to be busy. It's just productivity we need to focus on. And, and I think when we get ourselves out of that mindset of needing to be busy and wanting to be busy and instead focusing on what can I do today in a shorter period of time to be even more productive than if I was being just busy all day, you can actually get a lot more done. You can work a lot more efficiently. You can use your energy a lot better. And then you get to create a whole lot of space for you to just enjoy your life. And that's and I like, love, that's I love that method is. as well. Yeah, and no, mm. if you've got a project on and you can break it down into really small particles, mm. as small as you can get, so that you've actually felt like you're moving ahead when you've achieved one of those items, to set a stopwatch is a brilliant idea. So, yeah. for example, in the markets, if you spend too long analysing the markets, what can happen is you can get decision fatigue. You can get that brain fog that sets in because you're having to think of too many things, make too many decisions, and you're not actually achieving your optimal because you have got yourself very cluttered. So I do suggest to my traders that they set a stopwatch. So on your phone, there's a little little clock that you can go and get and it'll set an alarm. And if you're looking at the markets for longer than 20 minutes before you make a decision, you've got a problem. And I've done this with many projects that I've implemented for myself where I'll set an, a clock set that alarm and say, okay, I'm going to get this done in this time. It's very effective. It makes you more productive and it allows you to go to the gym or 
pop out for a cuppa with one of your friends. Much yeah. uh, more liberating than just being tied to your desk. Oh, I completely agree. Like on the one hand, if you're thinking about a decision for that long, you're overthinking it, you mm-hmm. know, and I'm a very, uh, I'm a solar plexus authority when it comes to decision making. So if you know human design, that means that you're very much an emotionally driven decision maker. So if I'm going to be spending 20 minutes trying to make a decision, I know that I'm too much in my logical mind around that anyway. So I love that that's sort of a, a strategy that you guys have integrated into how you actually teach your students to work. And then also it's the Pomodoro technique where if you do the, tw- I think it's 20 minutes of work and then five minutes rest. And that ultimately helps you like boost your productivity. And as you were saying, create that space to do everything else that you want to be doing for the rest of your day. So I love that. This is such a great conversation. We're going in so many different <laughs> directions here. It's awesome. I want to, um, I want to, bring the conversation back to the topic of resistance because you did mention resistance there and this is something that I've actually been talking a lot about on my socials as of recently because I realized there was a lot of resistance that I was creating for myself with it with that next level of growth that I wanted to see so it's something I'm actively and really intentionally working on how do you go about uh removing or releasing resistance that you might be creating in in your progress with your business also Mm. I'm going to apply a trading mentality to what you've just said, okay? So I'll just describe what resistance is in the markets mm-hmm. and then perhaps I'll, I'll answer your question. So in in a share chart, just imagine a share chart, okay? So you've got mm-hmm. the price over time. So over time, we're hoping for it to go up, okay? Yeah. Now, when it hits a layer of resistance, often that's around a round dollar figure and the price just keeps hitting that same level and it has trouble busting through. Okay, it's like it's hitting its head on the ceiling. But then when it finally does break through, it does it often, hopefully, on heavy volume where a lot of other people believe in that sucker and they drive that price up and it's like a little explosion. I love it. Love it when I see it on a share chart. My favourite passion is that breakout type of trade and it works like a charm. Now, I think people are the same. There is an effect called the Kafka effect. Mm. And I really think this is at the core of your question. The Kafka effect is when you've got a big goal and you've been working on it and you've hit it from a few different angles and you're trying and trying and trying, but then eventually you hit that fog. And that fog is, do I go through this fog or do I back off? Do I pursue this goal or do I quit? That fulcrum of the seesaw where you'll go one way or the other. Now that Kafka effect is a very real phenomenon. So for any goal that you've got, if you are hitting that Kafka effect, just know that you are ready. You are ready. You can bust through that fog. All of the things that you've accumulated in your brain from the very beginning of that project have come together in one swirling mass in your brain and all you have to do is take that next step because with fog, we just dip our lights a little bit, don't we? We don't use the same technique. We just go a little bit further, a little bit further, a little bit further and then before you know it, we're through that fog. Mm. So I do think that is applicable regardless of whether you're a trader or whether you're in business. Oh, 100%. So Kafka, is that spelled K-A-F-K-A? Yes. 
Ah, I like yeah. that one. I'm going to translate that into some of my coaching clients and share that um, effect with them because it, it makes total sense, right? And it's a frustrating um, place when we are in that fog sometimes and we feel like we can't see the way out and we feel like, oh my gosh, all of our work has been for nothing. Like we're just stuck and we're just hitting our head against the wall. So it's really, um, it's really empowering to know that actually in that moment, everything is coming together and you just need to take one step at a time and you're going to move through and soon enough, you're going to break out of the ceiling that you And it is about. part of the process. You know, I, mm. I think so many people before they've really achieved in life, they think, well, how hard could it be? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so often we need somebody to guide us and to say, look, this is normal. What you are experiencing is normal it is to be expected and this will be the making of you and you will be able to get through this to have somebody who believes in you who can see that this is actually part of the way it goes is invaluable like I just think a lot of people try to bust through alone and they are really taking the long hard path to success Mm, you don't have to do it alone. And I think when you can let go of that part of your ego that is saying, I have to do this by myself, this has to be fully, completely and utterly me, you open yourself up, you know, to um, to time collapsing the growth that you're able to see. Because when you do have someone guiding you and supporting you, who is multiple steps ahead of where you are, even just one step ahead of where you are, that is when time truly does collapse and you start to see those results and that growth a lot quicker and the challenges as well become a lot easier to navigate also. And that's also, I think, a part of the concept of flow where that time collapses because you're so absorbed in a particular activity. I mean, we all pursue flow. Hopefully we can get there in more than one dimension, but some people really only have one area they experience flow in in their entire lives. And it's when that total focus is absorbing every part of you and it's almost like there's nothing else that exists in the world for you in that moment I think that is the really desirable state for so many of us Mm, I'd love to know from your perspective how can someone go about actually entering that flow state and finding it in more areas of their life Mm. Number one, you have to turn off your phone. Yes. Oh, we are so prone to distraction. You know, we are designed to really jump at shadows. If you think from an evolutionary perspective, uh, what we're looking at is way back in deep time in the caves. If you didn't jump at a shadow, if you weren't anxious, then that saber-toothed tiger could just swipe you and then that's it. There goes your bloodline and you wouldn't have the ancestors today. So we are designed to be anxious. We are designed to have heightened cortisol in our system. And in the olden days, in those caves, we could have run that off. We would have been able to hide. We would have been able to freeze. We would have been able to fight. Now we have got a portable cortisol equipment being carried with us at all stages with our phone, with every bing and bop and ding. So number one, get rid of your technology. Number two, set a time limit on it. So even if it's a big project, at least get started because we know if we get started on a project, we're more likely to finish it. We all want closure. And number three, I would say warn the people around you. 
you need to actually carve out this block of time and even if you have to do something that will be distasteful to you like you know if you give me these 30 minutes I will do the dishes for you with your housemate whatever the trade-off will be you need to get that time alone so that you can absorb yourself in the task at hand. Mm, I think they're really tangible advice uh, steps that you gave there so really removing your distractions actually starting and creating a space where you can focus. So warning the people around you, um, hey, this is a boundary I need to put in place. I'm getting into my flow zone. Do not disturb mode activated. (laughs) Absolutely. And a lot of the time we can do this with a friend. Like I've got an accountability buddy because I think it's a really important thing to know ourselves and I know that I'm less likely to ever let someone else down compared to myself down. When I started my morning journal, which is where I write every day about my thoughts and feelings, it's nothing that's structured. I just aim to keep that pen in motion Mm. so that it's like a direct link to my subconscious. When I started that, I found that I wasn't really consistent with it. So I got an accountability buddy to help me with that and we didn't want to break that chain I said you know let's check in once a week and then the in the end it was like a text every day you know journal (laughs) that's all we had to say so we didn't break that chain and it got us into the habit of writing and it has benefited both of us so having an accountability buddy for a habit that you want to generate can be a really good step Completely. I'd honestly go as far to say that accountability is one of the biggest forms of motivation when you've got that person who is supporting you, whether that be a friend. And I think that's the thing as well. A lot of people think, oh, but I don't have the resources to have a mentor hold me accountable. But it can be as simple as having a friend hold you accountable. The amount of business besties that I have who aren't even in Australia and we've held each other accountable through so many different up levels and projects and as well, getting back into routine with journaling. And it, it makes the biggest difference for you because as you said, it is easier to let yourself down than it is to let someone else down. And I think on that point as well, Another really powerful form of accountability is your connection to your why, the reason why you are doing what you're doing. Because when you make your why bigger than just yourself, when you make it about, you know, the people around you, the people you love, I mean, your damn dog, if you want to make it about giving your dog the best life you can possibly have in the world, then you are making your motivation, your reason to stay committed and show up something bigger than just yourself. And so when you wake up in the morning and you have that urge of, oh, I'm just going to sleep in today and not do what I need to be doing, it hits you. You get that little bit of a ping and it's almost a little bit of guilt where you're like, oh, but I won't be letting myself down. I'll be letting all of these people down as well. So I thought that was another little take on the accountability point there. Yeah, I like that. And perhaps another habit helper, should we say, is to pair your habit with something that you're doing already. So, for example, like everybody would clean their teeth in the morning. So if you're trying to remember to take your tablets for a medication issue, then pair it with that toothbrush. That way you're lowering friction and you're making sure that you're giving yourself a chance to repeat that behaviour often enough so that it becomes automatic. And I used to think, why are we so obsessed with trying to create habits? And you know what I think it is, and I'd love your take on this, Em. I think it's so that we can just free up 
that higher level thinking in our brain Mm -hmm. so that we can strategically think more deeply because everything else has been confined to habits and it's much easier to do. It's automatic if it's a habit. Mm. What are your thoughts about habit formation, Em? Oh, I completely agree with what you've just shared there. And I like to view habits as uh, the building blocks to getting to wherever you want to be at the end of the day. And so I always myself am habit stacking and encouraging my clients to habit stack as well. Because if you have a goal and let's say, for example, you know, I'm not yet a millionaire and one day I am going to be a millionaire. It's one of my goals. So getting from zero to and it won't be long. Trust me, I'm determined to make it before I'm 30, um, which which is six years. So I'm going to be well past that anyway. <laughs> but but um, coming back to what I was sharing, brain has just gone off track a little bit there. Um, habit stacking. So if I'm coming into business, made zero dollars in my life and I want to make a million dollars, it's a really big leap to go from that zero to that seven figure mark. But if you look at it in the perspective of I'm going to stack my habits until I have evolved myself into that seven figure business owner, it becomes a lot easier. And it it comes back to that idea of uh, development. Like you can have anything you want in your life. You just need to develop yourself to that point where you then have that desire. And I really do believe that it comes back to our habits and um, expanding the capacity of what we can carry and what can become possible for us one little shift at a time. And as you said, by putting these things into autopilot and making them routine and making them not even something we have to think about, right? Because then that creates space for us to add more onto that development and that expansion we're creating for ourselves. Yeah, I love it. I think that what I just want to pick up on there with what you were talking about is creating skill stacks is really Mm. important. So when I had my first business that didn't quite work out, is the skills that I learned in that business have translated in so many other areas of my life. And even though at the time, maybe I didn't fully understand the impact those skills would bring, they pay Mm -hmm. off down the track. You know, like even working in retail, like I've got two children, I've got Ramona, who's 19, and I've got Ashley, who's 15. So I worked in retail. I lied about my age when I was 13 to be able to get a job. It was a big goal. I wanted to go to Bali in two years time. And I knew if I started work at 15, I wouldn't make, I wouldn't be able to have the money. So I did. I lied. I lied. And I, I have to say it probably was great experience because I was so out of my depth. It was crazy how out of my depth I was. But now I can use those experiences to listen to my daughters and to hear their experiences and to be able to relate with them. So you never really know what you're doing in life, how it will help you down the track. Oh, 100%. And that's why I don't regret, you know, anything that I've been through in life, any of the relationships or any of the degrees, like I don't regret any of the decisions that I've made, because ultimately, everything has helped shape me into that version of myself I am right now. So instead of viewing like, you know, the four year bachelor degree I did, and then the half of my masters that I did as a waste of time, money and energy, instead, I'm actually thankful for that time and thankful for that experience, because that helped me evolve into the coach that I am today. It gave me important lessons and experiences from life that add to my unique skill set that I can deliver then 
through my services. But at the time, that would have been a very difficult thing because you would have been carrying the weight of expectation of others on your shoulders. How did you go about explaining why you were actually getting out of that? I'm curious. So it was like big for me because uh, I finished my bachelor's. I did graduate that. And then I I knew I didn't want to work in architecture forever, even though I had the job already and the degree and was stepping into my master's. I knew it wasn't for me, but I had no idea what I did want to do. You know, so I took that step forward into my master's, which I then dropped out of halfway through because I figured out what I wanted to do. But actually, like taking that step forward was challenging because uh, it was I guess I had that expectation, as you said, that, you know, my parents, this is what they wanted me to do. This is the path they wanted me to follow. And then also my boss who I had to like step away from and resign work from. And like, I had this guilt I was carrying because he had spent the last two years, like helping prime me into a a well-functioning architect in the industry that would serve their company. But I had to take a step back and I had to ask myself, like, who am I making these decisions for? And that was the biggest thing that helped me get the courage to lean into moving forward was when I recognized that I was deciding to stay in the degree for my parents. I was deciding to stay in my job for my boss and that was everyone except for myself, right? And so when I had come back to that realization of actually this is my life, this is my future, this is my purpose and my career, I need to make sure the decisions I'm making are for me. It gave me a sense of power back, which then gave me confidence to be able to share that with my parents and say, hey, look, this is actually um, how I feel. I've found the clarity. I don't want to do this. I'm not passionate about it. I'm just doing it to please, you know, you and these other people. This is the direction I want to explore. I'm not sure exactly what I'm going to do in this space, but I'm confident that this is where I'm meant to be going. And so I think it was after reclaiming that personal power from doing that self-reflection, it really helped me have the courage to, to, to move forward. Yeah, I love that. I love it because what we're talking about here is transitions. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Transition from one direction to another direction that we could head in and expectations of others as well. I find that with my traders, they are often subject to those same types of forces, Mm. especially when you decide to become a full-time trader because you can trade alongside your job and you don't even have to mention how you're making your money alongside your job. That's one, one level. But once you're ready to leave that job, maybe you've just had it and you're over it and you've been making enough money out of trading so that you can bank your primary source of income for at least a year so you can, you know you can actually move into the trading arena with safety, that is a heck of a transition. That mm. is a big transition that you have to pre-consider and to work out the impact on yourself but also that ripple effect to those around you. Mm. I think that what you've touched on there is definitely a commonality between our two areas. Mm, 100%. And I mean, it's change, right? Change is always scary. Uh, Stepping into new zones of comfort is always challenging as well. But on this note of transitioning, if someone and I want to I want to speak specifically to trading now, like if someone is thinking about making that transition, and they want to figure out, okay, what are my first steps that I can take so that I can actually step into this trading space? Can you shine some clarity on what those first steps might look like for them? 
Sure. Well, number one is that you really do need to bank your primary source of income for at least a year because that will give you confidence. I know there's a lot of hype around crypto and the crypto babes and the crypto guys, and they really perhaps providing an unrealistic expectation about what it takes to step away from a lifetime of pretty much guaranteed income that a lot of us are having in terms of a pay packet. So we do need to take that step very, very carefully. So once you do feel that you are an effective trader with that, it's also important that you know how to trade long, which is making money when the market's going up, When the market's going sideways, you need to know how to make money then and short, which is when the market is going down. So if you don't have, say, two or three trading instruments under your belt because you're going to need that, because the market's not always going to be going down or up, then you're going to be in trouble. So you have to consider yourself in 5, 10, 15 years down the track, what are the skills you're going to need? So having two or three instruments or two or three different trading markets and timeframes will really put you in good stead for the future. Mm, I think that's a really well laid out plan there. I particularly love how um, it's really focused on the future planning, looking ahead, getting yourself a couple steps ahead as well, securing that bank so then you can feel more confident in the decisions you're making and then taking those next steps forward. So that's been super insightful for me because trading is something that I'd love to be able to step into as, um, you know, the next step of my investment portfolio or probably like the first big step because really it's good right now. Um, So that's very insightful for me as well of what I could start planning and preparing for. So uh, guess a more specific point with that then uh because i know people throw a lot of numbers around in terms of when it comes to breaking down and saving and delegating money into different places what is the sort of a uh, uh, rough percentage of someone's income that you would advise them or you know advise without having any responsibility <laughs> around <laughs> the decisions they make um to start putting aside to prepare themselves for that next step and even just get in the habit you know of, of putting away money for investment Well, saving definitely is one of those habits that people just skip over. They often spend whatever's left rather than actually putting away the money first and then letting the rest of their life absorb whatever's left. Mm -hmm. Perhaps some of the practical skills, a lot of people listening to this podcast will be already getting promotions because of the information you're giving them at work. So try to always live on your previous position salary. You'll get a pay rise with that promotion, but try and pop that entire pay rise away so that you're actually protecting your future. I do think a lot of people also underestimate the importance of giving. So to give money to charity, to give money to a cause is very, very liberating. So build that into your expression for what you're wanting in the future as well. We've actually found, interestingly, that the traders who are open to giving and are happy to provide for a cause are the ones who make the most money. It is a fascinating, abundant theory if you are prepared to open your wallet for specific reasons, then your wallet is also open to receive. So it is uh, is interesting to watch um, Chris Tate, my business partner, and I support a significant charity called Opportunity International. And every year we are just amazed 
at the traders who are prepared to give are the ones who become the most successful. So building that into your future plans, I think, is important as well. And it does depend on your life stage. And because in your 20s, you've got different requirements compared to perhaps where I'm in my 50s. So (laughs) we do have to consider that as well. So it's always a good thing to seek the advice of a financial planner to help give you that specificity for your purpose. I think that can really assist, just give you that overview about, okay, this is probably how much I'll need and how much I need to save based on your own individual circumstances. It's all knowledge at the end of the day. Hey, knowledge is power. If you you can ask the questions and you can just get the answers and what you don't know, you can just learn, right? And yeah. so I think that's really what it comes back to when it does come to that financial management. And that's something I really learned in my first year of business was I didn't ask enough about how to manage it and how to move it and how to this and how to that. And then I had to learn that the hard way. Um, so in saying that then, as we do get towards the end of our episode because this has been a really juicy conversation and it's honestly gone longer than most guest episodes do but I've loved every single second of it but in respect of your time and your energy as well I want to start uh wrapping this episode up now I do have a question that I love to ask each of the guests that come onto the empower them podcast and that is what is one final piece of empowering advice you'd love to leave them with all of your listeners with today Don't be afraid to seek out a mentor that can help get you to where you want to go. And it may be more than one mentor. If you're in business, you may choose M because she's got the rungs on the board and she's also been able to help a lot of people achieve in their own arena. If it's trading, I do hope you come and visit me at my website, tradinggame.com.au. And I would love to stay in touch with you. You can register for my five-part e-course called trading made simple and I'll also give you my free trading plan template and that will take Mm. you through all of the specifics you need to be able to create your own trading plan and really send me an email I love getting emails from my podcast listeners and I can imagine that you love that too Em I can tell you're a people person of course I feel like we are so energetically aligned in like the types of people that we are but I will be sure to put all of those details into the episode description every link to all of your websites your email everything so that anyone can connect with you and contact with you about taking those steps forward into trading I know that when I'm ready to take that step forward I will most certainly be coming and sending an email into your inbox saying hi let's reconnect Louise um, but a lot aside from that, Louise, honestly, thank you so much for your time today and um, all of the insights and value that you delivered. It has been such a, a juicy conversation and I feel like I'm stepping away from this um, as a higher version of myself than I did step into it with. So thank you so much for your time today and for joining me on the podcast. Absolutely, Em, and thanks for spreading your word as well. There are so many people that just sit back and expect the world to come to them and they are only open to things being spoon-fed to them, but you have actually made that extra step and you are putting yourself out there and I know it can't be comfortable at all times. I run my own podcast, so I do know what this means. You have to prepare, you have to be focused on who is going to be listening and you have to have to think of your guest as well. So I commend you for everything that you're doing, Em, and I do wish you the best of luck in the future and, of course, good judgment. 
So that's a wrap on another episode of the Empower With Them podcast. If you want more from me, then make sure you come say hi over on Instagram at empowerwithm and let me know your thoughts on this episode. And if you love the podcast, then don't forget to leave a five-star rating and review to help us grow this platform. Now, before you go, I'm going to leave you with one final question to sit with and take action on stepping away from today's episode. How can you go out into the world today and do something small that will empower those around you in some way? Thank you for listening. Thank you for coming along. And I'll see you next episode.